All right, Pastor Chris with us. Thank you, sir. Uh, hey, uh, thanks, George. I, I love, I'm grateful for George and, and all the volunteers. And like you said, team night is a big deal around here because um, this church happens because of volunteers. And so we want to make sure that we appreciate our volunteers. Uh, we like to eat food around here, uh, hence the steak dinners. And if you want to go to steak dinner, I'll, I'll be happy to go and let you buy me a steak dinner. So just let me know uh, when you want to do that. Um, and uh, so we're excited. So if you are a part, if you serve or have served in any way, uh, Team Night is for you. And uh, we started this tradition, um, and it's, uh, it's a fun one. I'm excited for it to continue. We give out awards uh, every Team Night called the Golden Donut Awards uh, because all things at church that are valuable have donuts attached to them. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, so if you guys do volunteer, make sure you guys are there. We've got an incredible fall planned. Um, family month is kicking off in October. We've got so much fun stuff planned. Uh, and so I want to make sure that you guys are able to be there. Um, I'm excited for today. We started a new series last week called Tribal. Um, and uh, it essentially, you know, since the dawn of man, uh, for thousands and thousands of years, people have been drawn to being a part of a tribe, and sometimes it's been for their own safety, uh, just so they can exist and live and thrive. Uh, other times, uh, it's because um, there's something about that tribe that they like and they want to be a part of. They want to experience that. Uh, I had this, um, and, and it probably varies on the level. This happened a couple weeks for a couple weeks ago for us. Um, how many of you guys are like tech, technology, phones? iPhones really is what we're getting at here. How many of you guys watched the Apple kind of the new, hey, here's all the new stuff that you can buy thing? A few of us. Uh, and how many of you guys have just had people talking to you about it ever since that happened? More of us. So uh, I, I don't know how this happened, but somehow I was able to uh, watch it that night. Um, and, uh, and so and with my wife and my mom. Uh, I had them sit through an hour and a half of people talking about new phones and technology, and there's a lot of questions, uh, and, uh, and they didn't get quite as excited about the new phones as I did, but there's this whole thing and the, the whole campaign that happened a couple years ago, you know, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, there's like two very different tribes, not so much anymore, nobody's a PC anymore, nobody wants to take that one on, but uh, now it's like I'm a Mac, I'm a Google, or whatever the, the, the Android version is, and so uh, there's tribes, and people have wanted to be a part of certain tribes, some people have just naturally become part of certain tribes, and at South Hills, we, we have been using this language during this series that we are a certain kind of tribe. And what does that mean for us to be a certain tribe? We have certain values that are important to us. We have certain things that we want to do as a tribe. We have certain things that are important to uh, the way that we impact what happens here on Sunday mornings, but also the way that we impact the community during the week. Um, so we've been talking about this idea of tribes and Seth Godin, who's an author and speaker, he does a lot of leadership stuff, and you guys may have heard of him. He actually has a book all about this idea of tribes, and he says that, uh, you know, people, when it comes to tribes, people uh, think, you know, people like me do things like this. That's what it means to be a part of a tribe. Uh, people like me, these people are like me, and so we do things like this. People like me get excited about the new iPhone. Uh, people like me uh, enjoy when they go to get dinner, they want it to not just sustain you, they want it to taste delicious. So we, we are a part of a foodie tribe, I guess, which is some, I don't know why people like me get a bad rap. Like, you got to eat. It might as well be good. Uh, so there's, yeah, 
That's right. Everybody that's wearing tight pants today understands that. Uh, this idea of being a part of a tribe is that people like me do things like this. Uh, and as you look around there, this room, there's people that are very different from each other. We don't have a ton of similarities, but as a church, there's unity and there's things that we do as a church. So if, if this is our home, if this is who we want to be, then these are the types of things that we're going to do. These are the types of things we're going to care about. So I'm excited for the fall. I'm excited for Family Month uh, to kick off in October. Family Month is really, um, it's a series that's all about relationships. Um, and I had somebody explain it to this way to me one time. And I don't know, we have these really nice screens, but I'm going to write with a marker on this piece of paper. So, uh, so if you have kind of this idea in the Bible or ideal uh, of, of what God says relationships should look like or could look like, relations, Guys, bear with me. Relationships. Got it. There's a couple important letters. You got to make sure you get in the right. Uh, so if you have this idea of what the ideal is, which, you know, we talk and, you know, we read passages in the Bible about hope and love and marriages and, and these ideas. And we believe as a church, we believe as a tribe that our relationships can be stronger and better. And we believe that marriages that are struggling and broken, that they can be healed. And we believe, I mean, that, that parents that have teenage kids, I'm not in that phase yet, but I've heard nightmares about what it's like to have teenage kids. And that, you know, there's times when uh, that relationship can be difficult and they're making bad choices. Some of you guys have siblings that are making bad choices in life. And, and so we hear at church, we read in the Bible, we hear these stories about how these relationships can be loving and full of hope and fixed and healed and, and restored. And so we hear this ideal, but the reality is, for most of us, I really shouldn't be writing. The reality for most of us is very different. The reality of what most of us experience in our relationships is like, I just got to make it through a couple more hours and then they're going to be asleep. I just got to make it through the weekend and then I can go back to work. I just got to make it to summer and then we can get a vacation and maybe we can figure our family out again and get reconnected. For most of us, the reality is very different than what the Bible talks about. is very different than what we believe, that there is this hope for our relationships to be made whole. And so there's a, there's a gap here in the middle and this gap is the reality that we kind of all live in. And so Family Month is this opportunity where we talk about relationships. We talk about the hope that we have and the possibility of, of what it would look like to be a, a better husband, a better wife, parent, friend, sibling, a coworker even. We talk about all these different things about what the ideal is. And we're kind of living in the reality. And so there's two different Two different routes that we can go. And we all know that nothing in life happens in a straight line. You guys have all been alive to know this. But we can, in our reality, we can start kind of moving up towards this ideal based on what the Bible says, based on what we experience in church, based on the effort that we put in, based on the, the work that we put in. Or a lot of us will just kind of have this line that just goes straight out of, man, I... I think, it's, I think it's too far gone. I think the marriage is too far gone. I think that the relationship with my sibling, we're just very different people. We live very different lives, and so we're just going to, let's just go our separate ways. Man, I've given up on my kids. My kid's six. I've almost given up on I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, have, we have this reality that we live in, and we can make the choice to say, hey, I'm going to put in the work and the effort 
I'm going to put in the time, I'm going to put the thought, prayer, I'm going to try and move towards this thing that I have heard is a possibility, wholeness, restoration, beauty, peace, all of these things would be, does anybody want that in some of their relationships? Or we can say, I don't know, I don't know if it's possible. And we can keep doing the same types of things and keep getting the same types of reality in our life, the same types of responses in our life. And so what we're talking about today is really kind of a way to prepare us. It's a, it's a value that we have, but it's a way to prepare us for how we can go into this series, Family Month, this series that starts in October of, of what it looks like to be talking about relationships. Um, this week, I got a chance to hang out with Edwin, our worship director, uh, and uh, his fiance Liz, and we went and had dinner and, and all that kind of stuff, um, and, uh, and it was a great time. But we were talking, I'm actually, they're getting married in a few weeks, which is exciting, uh, a slow woo for Edwin and Liz. Uh, and uh, so we're excited for them, and I'm going to be able to officiate their wedding, which is awesome, and I can't believe they trust me that much, but uh, I'm excited for that. And so we were talking about the wedding and kind of the order of things, and, and um, you know, one of the things that I always have to be careful of is uh, making sure I don't screw up a wedding. Uh, and you want to make sure you get people's names right. And you want to make sure there's all these different things that, you know, you just, it, it's a lot of pressure, you guys. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, and, uh, and, and so we were talking, and I was asking um, Liz, Edwin's fiance, I was asking her, um, I was like, so do you want me to, like, refer to you as Liz, or do you want me to refer to you as your full name? Which I assumed was Elizabeth. And she's like, well, that's not my full name. And I was like, oh, is your full name just Liz? And she's like, no. And then we get into this whole discussion because Liz is Russian. And so, and I wrote it down because uh, I got to practice it. So I'm here practicing it with you guys. Liz isn't even here, so she's going to be so impressed next time I see her. So her full name is Elizaveta. Is that close? All right, I got a thumbs up from the fiance. It's as close as Edwin's gotten too, so it better be close enough. So that's her full name, but we call her Liz. And a lot of you guys, I mean, did any of you grow up with a name that the teacher always got wrong on the first day of school? So it's just that, like, yeah, it's just never, they never get it right. And so you guys, you guys know what it's like to live life with this, it's close enough kind of mentality. Like, yeah, it's the ballpark. Uh, or you've changed your name so that it's easier for other people. Uh, there's somebody else uh, in our church, and uh, her name is Christine. But her name doesn't have an E on the end, so it actually looks like Kristen. But the way that it's pronounced and the way that it's spelled, and uh, she's Filipino, and so just the way that it works out is that it's, it's pronounced Christine. And so she's had to say, well, I just put an E at the end of it so that people get it right. And so it's like, it's close enough. My name uh, is really difficult. Chris, is, I'm just kidding. My last name is Kretsu, which is very intimidating. There's like K's and Z's, and everybody's like, how do you pronounce that? It's like pretty much just the way that it looks. But, but people are always nervous about it. But the thing is, my grandparents, they came over from Romania uh, when they were about 12 years old. And when they got to the Statue of Liberty to come into this country, uh, they said, great, what's your name? And they said their name, which is Kretsu. Uh, and so they're like, that sounds like a K, R, and they just decided how it should be spelled. And it's actually spelled, I was going to put this on the screen, but I didn't. I'm put it down here. C-R-E-T-U, and then there's like this weird little squiggly thing at the bottom. That's a real thing. I don't know what it's called. That's how good of a grandson I am. 
So, but they didn't spell it for them when they came over. They just said, okay, well, that's close enough, K-R-E-T-Z-U. And so we all understand this idea of what it's like to live with this name, with this idea of, well, here's who I am, and it's close enough. Like, your idea of who I am is close enough. And the same is true for church. The same thing is true for church. All throughout the Bible, we think of, this, we think of church as being this thing that, that Jesus talked about. Like, Jesus wanted church to exist. And, and the reality is that the word church did not exist um, and it's, it's a translation that came about years and years later. This, this word church is actually based off a Germanic word, uh, kirche. And the, the word has to do with a, a building. And usually it was like a government type of building. And so this word, as the Bible became translated to English, just kind of became like, well, this is, this is the closest thing. But what Jesus actually talked about and what Jesus actually dealt with was very different, kind of like all of you guys that had to correct your teacher for the first couple weeks of school. It's like, no, that's not what I mean. Like, I'll respond to it. That's not quite it. And Jesus and, and, the, and what he called his followers to wasn't church. It wasn't kirche. It was actually this word, ecclesia, which you guys may have heard if you guys have been around church. And it's, it's, a, it's a word that essentially, ecclesia means a called out gathering, it's a called out people, a group of people. And so for thousands of years, we've been talking about church and the importance of church. And it's close enough. But there's a point when you really start to get to know somebody that you actually want to know, no, your name's not Liz or Elizabeth. Your name is Elizabetta. Your name isn't actually spelled with an E at the end. Oh, you came over, your grandparents came and immigrated here from Romania, and there's history attached to the name that they had in Romania. They were a somebody there, and in, in the U.S., a Kretsu is a nobody. So there's this idea of what Jesus has invited us to, which the church is, is close enough, but for those of us that are part of this tribe especially, it's important that we know, like, no, here's what we're really supposed to be. Here's who we really are. Here's who our name really is. It's not a political building. It's a gathering of people that are called out from the rest. We're called to be something different. We're called to live a different way. Does that make sense? So there's a, there's a correction that we need to have in our understanding of church. Let me just double check. All right, we're doing good. I'm not late yet. Uh, there's plenty of time for that. So why is that? This idea of the handful of these people in the beginning that after Jesus raises from the dead, there's just a group of people that are sitting and waiting for him in, the room, in this room, and they're just waiting. He said, I will send my spirit. I will send a helper to you. And so they're sitting there waiting, and it starts to grow and get bigger. It was a small ecclesia, this small gathering, this small people, this group of people that were, hey, I'm going to be different. We're going to follow something different than what everybody else is doing. But it started to grow and get bigger. And this small ecclesia became a bigger ecclesia. And it's still just this idea of this gathering of people that followed the way of Jesus. and never had to do with a building specifically or even really the size of a building. In Acts chapter 2, we read a little bit about this first church. Verse 42 says, all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Because at that time, they didn't really have a New Testament. The New Testament that we have is the apostles' teaching. So this is still kind of what we're doing. We are reading what the apostles taught. So they devoted themselves. They would show up to the, to the temple courts and all these different larger gatherings to hear the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, which is why we have coffee and donuts. Uh, 
Verse 43 says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And this happened all, all the time. This happened in these larger gatherings where they were listening to teachings. And this happened in smaller gatherings. In verse 45, it says, they sold their property and possessions. And they shared the money with those that were in need. And we do this a lot. We do this a lot of times. We actually have something called Beyond Our Walls where people are able to give above and beyond what their tithes is to help people locally and globally that are in need. Last week, and all the money that we gave through Beyond Our Walls went to help hurricane and flood relief uh, across the country. And so, and so we do this as a large gathering. But have you guys ever been a part of a group of friends where somebody has helped you out financially, somebody has, has done something to help you get a step up, has, has made a connection for you to get a job, has, has helped you kind of cover rent from one month to another. I know that I have. A lot of times our family fills that role, but this way that we, we, we help those and share with those in need happens in a large gathering, but it also oftentimes happens in smaller groups as we know each other more. In verse 46, they worship together at the temple, the big gathering, each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, a small gathering. And they shared their meals with great joy. I share my meals with great joy also uh, and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This ecclesia, this called out gathering, they met in these large spaces and then they also met in these small spaces. And it was critical to who they were. Because in the large spaces, they learned and they were taught by the apostles and they had these experiences together. But in the small spaces, they, they shared meals together and they, they shared their resources with one another. And it says that they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. Like everybody that saw what they were doing and how they were doing it was like, those are good people. Which is still true of the church today. Not quite as much true of the church today. We've slipped a little bit. Most people that are outside of the church don't look at the church favorably. And there's reasons for that. We're not going to get into all of that. But there's this idea of what they were doing in large gatherings and in small gatherings that, that they enjoyed the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship. They, they grew and they grew and they grew. You can see from this passage we're meant to be in community. It was beautiful. It was powerful. It changed all of the people that experienced it. And we are hardwired as humans to be in community. We are hardwired as individuals, as people. You, even you introverts, are hardwired to be in community, to experience love and relationships with each other. Psychologists and coaches and teachers and pastors and everybody agrees that we're hardwired this way and that we thrive when we experience love and community from other people. But if we're wired for that, then why don't we all experience that? You would think it's just like, well, if that's the way that we're wired, and if that's how we do best, then we should all be good to go. Because everybody does the best thing for themselves all the time, right? Why do we feel pain and loneliness and rejection if we're hardwired for love and if we're hardwired for community? What's the deal? So in, in the story of the garden in Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here for you guys, but... Adam and Eve are in this garden that God makes, and he, he gives them everything they ever need. And there's one rule, one, one request that God makes, and he says, don't eat of this tree. And essentially, they question, they come to this place where they question if God is really trustworthy, if God is really good. Is he trying to keep something from us? Is he trying to hold something back from us? 
I mean, he's given us everything that we need, and it's beautiful, and we're just, we're kicking it in the garden, and everything is perfect, but I wonder if there's more that he's not giving me. And so they make this decision, and they eat from this tree, and they move away from a humble dependence on God. They move away from this uh, humility and this humble approach to understanding, like, Man, I trust that God knows what I need and that he's going to give it to me. They moved away from that and said, I'm going to make sure that I get what I need. I'm going to make sure I look out for myself. They move away and they make this choice and, and they bring in sin, they bring in brokenness into the world. And the result of this decision, the result of moving away from humble dependence on God was two things. One is shame. They immediately were ashamed. They realized that they were naked uh, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they kind of made clothing. They were ashamed of the way that they looked. The Bible says that they're the two people that were there, and they had been living together, so I don't know what the issue was, but they brought in shame. They hid from each other, and then they hid from God, which is adorable. The first thing they experience is shame in this broken relationship, and then the next thing that they experience is blame. They start blaming each other. God says to Adam, he says, hey, what happened? Did you eat from the tree? He's like, the woman that you put here, she gave me the fruit. And then God goes and talks to Eve, and she said, that snake, he talked me into it. And so there's this sense of shame that they have immediately, and then there's this idea of blame. And so they move away from humble dependence on God. They experience shame. They experience blame. This idea, we're still experiencing that today, the idea of shame. When we're not who we want to be, we're not how we want to be, we're always trying to kind of cover up that aspect of who we are, our flaws, our, our faults. Uh, we're always trying to cover those things up. We're always double-checking the photos after we take them to make sure that they're good and not bad or honest, maybe. Uh, we're always struggling with this idea of shame, and then we're always dealing with this idea of blame, too. We find other people, other factors, other reasons to take the fall. I can't be a good husband because my dad wasn't a good husband, and so I never learned how to be a good husband, so you're just going to have to deal with it. I can't make any more money because the odds are stacked against me, and I had to get a job when I was 16. I wasn't able to finish school, and so I've just had to, I'm lucky, I'm pretty proud of who I am as as I am, and you're just going to have to deal with it. We start to blame other people, other circumstances, other experiences that we've had. So Jesus then, in the Gospels, Jesus comes and essentially exemplifies that relationships are still worth it. And here's how to have the most valuable kind of relationship. In Philippians 2, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. If you guys haven't read it, I would encourage you guys to read it. It's beautiful. Philippians 2 says that God, Jesus, who was God in every essence, humbles himself and comes to earth as a human and lays all of his preferences, all of his power aside and interacts with us vulnerably. He is seen. He is known. The, the Hebrews uh, 1, 3 says that he's the very radiance of who God is. He's the most clear picture of who God is. Here is what God looks like. He interacts with us in this way and becomes totally vulnerable to the point where he's killed by us. He is crucified on a cross by us. And he's willing to do this. He's willing to humble himself to be in relationship with us. He's willing to be seen so that we know how to be in relationship with him, so that we know who he is and we can trust him. He's willing to give his life for us because we have sinned and we have broken ourselves and we are shamed and we blame and we have problems. And so the only way to to find healing and hope and for that to be made right is through sacrifice. And so he's willing to sacrifice himself on a cross 
become totally vulnerable for us. Because relationships are still worth it. God wants to have a relationship with us. And he wants our relationships to be like what he originally intended them to be. He commands us to do the same. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, So I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. (laughs) Just as I have loved you, which is the way that we just talked about, becoming humble, setting aside any power, preference, any privilege that you might have, setting all of that aside to be known and seen and loved and vulnerable. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is what it looks like to be the ecclesia, not the church. To be the called out people that are willing to love each other the way that Jesus loved us. The kirche, the church can be as pretty as you want. The buildings, the the steeples, the crosses, the screens, the, the beautiful cafeteria floors. We can the church building can be anything that you want. And that's not what Jesus cared about, though. He cared about and he talked about this called out gathering of people. That's what his church is. We as a people are what his church is. So A lot of times we end up getting hurt in this building. We get hurt in our families. We get hurt at our jobs and and relationships. We know I don't have to make a big point out of this. You get hurt by people because you become vulnerable. And when you are vulnerable, there's no other way to explain it other than you are vulnerable. It is what it is. That's the nature of loving someone is allowing them to hurt you if that's what they choose to do. So we become hurt, but as we're hurt in community, we're hurt in relationships, but we also experience healing in community. We can only find healing when we're hurt by people. We can, we can get better a little bit on our own, but we can only become fully healed when we learn to trust people again, when we choose to be vulnerable again, when we choose to be seen again. So we're hurt in community, but we're also healed in community. Eugene Peterson, a pastor and author and um, just kind of the spiritual Mage. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's the one that I thought of. Uh, he, uh, he has this quote. It says, grace cannot be experienced privately, cut off from others. And hope cannot endure in solitude, separated from others. For us to experience healing, for us to experience grace, for us to experience hope, all of these things that we actually want in our lives, we can't get those alone. We can't get those on our own. We have to be in community. And so it goes against what we naturally would think. We think we're going to be safer and healthier if we just kind of cut those people out. I'm a, they've hurt me one too many times. That's it. I'm done. I'm done with people. I'm done with men. I'm done with church. I'm done with whatever it is that you've kind of decided that you're done with. I think that there's a, this aspect of of church that is difficult because it's a bunch of people. But if you've had a painful experience in church or if you've had a painful experience with a Christian or if you've had a painful experience with understanding a a picture of who God was, don't just walk away from it totally. I've had bad cups of coffee, but I still get another cup of coffee every morning. Just because you had a bad experience, there's there's a part of what this is that's just a, it's a, 
a blurry picture of God's goodness. And we try and make it as clear as possible. But I, I don't get it right all the time. And so I would invite you guys that have been hurt in community. I would invite you guys that have experienced pain, that have been disappointed, that have experienced rejection or loss or, or something has gone away. And you step back and be like, I can't imagine that God's happy with the way that this happened. So don't just walk away from it completely. Keep engaged in the ecclesia, in this gathering of people. In order to experience wholeness and healing, to get some of the beautiful things that God offers us, we have to do two things. The first thing is that we have to be humble. We have to humble ourselves. This, this way that Adam and Eve were intended to live in humble dependence on God, the way that Jesus humbled himself and came, it says in Philippians 2, in likeness of a man, we have to humble ourselves. We have to, we have to be humble. Willingness to be seen, a willingness to be known, a willingness to be vulnerable with others, just like Jesus modeled. I'm not going to manage my image. I'm going to come out of hiding. I'm going to be honest about who I am and my faults. And this is something that's super important to me. When I, I grew up in church, my dad was a pastor, and we had very different lives of what our home life was like and then what our Sunday morning life was like. And then as I got older, I went to churches where I felt like I had to show up and pretend like I knew what the right answers were, even if I didn't really believe them. I was like, yeah, I know the answer, though. I don't know if I believe it, but here's the answer. And I always felt trapped in this thing. And so for me, I've always been aching. And when I started in ministry, it was like, okay, I will do this. I kind of was dragging my feet a little bit. It's like, okay, God, I'll make you a deal. <laughs> so I will do this, but... I'm going to be real honest with people because I don't have all the answers and I don't want them to feel like they have to have all the answers. And I don't get things right all the time and I don't want them to feel like they have to hide if they mess up. And so for us at this church, I mean, we say oftentimes there's no perfect people allowed, but there's an aspect of who we are that, man, we should be honest and we can be honest and I want that to be honest for us. I want that to be a reality for us, to humble ourselves. The second thing is we have to choose to love the people that are around us, even if they don't return it, even if they reject it. We have to humble ourselves, and we have to choose love regardless of the way that we think they might act or respond or hurt or lash out. And I'm not saying you need to just be willing to, to fall on the sword every day. Obviously, there's wisdom to use but Jesus says, I want you to love others like I have loved you. And he was willing to love us a lot. He went real far for that love. And so there's a piece for us that we need to be willing to love people in a way, to be vulnerable in a way that understands that our acceptance comes in God's love for us. The fact that he came and he knew all of our worst secrets. The fact that he knew all of our worst brokenness, all of our shadows, all these types of things. He came and he still said, you're worth dying for. You're worth forgiving. I want to be in a relationship with you. That's where our acceptance lies. It doesn't lie in whether that person likes me or whether they accept me with my faults. Because Jesus already said that we're worth it. And so we have to humble ourselves and we have to choose to love others around us. In Ephesians, it gives a, a bit of a roadmap for this. Uh, in Ephesians chapter, uh, the, the first three chapters of Ephesians essentially say, it, it's being written as saying, you are loved and you are valuable. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to hide. God loves you. And then in chapter four, he says, therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. 
for you have been called by God. Not an idea of like earning it, not an idea of I beg you, don't screw this up. It's not that type of I beg you. It's therefore because of how loved and, and how God sees you and the value that you have and the purpose that you have, I want you to live a life that reflects that. That who I am, that what is important to me, that what I find my, my purpose in, my value in, is in this stuff. So I can now live my life that reflects this beautiful love and this beautiful humility, this beautiful purpose and meaning and all these types of things. In verse 3, jumping ahead one verse, he says, We should make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So be united. This is what it would look like to live a life worthy of your calling. Be united. Keep yourselves together with peace. And then in verse 2, we jump back a verse. He explains how to do that. He says, always be humble. And I can't help but think of Kendrick Lamar every time I say this. (laughs) Sit down. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Because of your love, you can be patient. Not because they deserve it. Because of your love, you can make allowances for them when they screw it up. Not because they've done enough good that they've earned a couple mistakes. Because of your love, be gentle, be humble, be patient. Jesus modeled this. He humbles himself to the point of dying a death on the cross for us to be in relationship with us. So what we do here on Sunday mornings is important. What we do here in these rows is important. We spend a ton of time getting ready for this. We talked about that already. This is a good thing. This is an important thing. We talked about last weekend why we gather. We talked about our mission as a church. We want to reach the people that are, that are disconnected from church. We want to reach the people that are disconnected from God. We want to say, hey, you can belong here. Let's have this conversation. You can fit in here too, regardless of what your past experience might be. We spend hours and hours preparing for what we do on Sunday mornings, sitting in these rows. I hope that people are inspired and encouraged and challenged These are the types of things that we get when we sit in these rows together. I try and lay out principles and speak truths, which is helpful, I hope, to people. And that's why we come and we sit in these rows together. They can be especially impactful for people that feel like they're outsiders because they can come in, and even in a smaller church like this, they can come in and feel a little bit anonymous. They don't have to talk to anybody outside of that weird 60 seconds at the beginning of service. And even then, you can like run to the bathroom real quick and avoid people totally. That's just a pro tip for you introverts. Or you can open up your Bible and pretend like you're praying. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do in that 60 seconds if it's going to kill you. But. but this, these rows are important because it allows people to come in and they get to hear truth and they get to be challenged. They get to encourage and say, hey, there's other people like me and people like me do things like this. I could fit in here too. But there's a limit to how much we can grow and and how much we can be changed and transformed in a row. There's a safety here. There's a safety when you guys are sitting in these rows because you're just looking forward. You're not looking at each other. You're not, you know, there's, there's there's an anonymity that comes in. A row requires nothing of you except that you show up, which is a big step. But you don't have to be humble to sit in a row. You don't have to be gentle to sit in a row. 
You don't have to make allowances for each other except some of your bedhead type of situations you guys roll up with. It's the only allowances that you got you to make when you sit in a row. It doesn't require anything of you. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. We're encouraged and inspired and challenged in rows, but the truth is that we grow more in circles than we do in rows. We grow more as we are in circles looking at each other and in relationships with each other and, and talking with each other and listening to each other and not just to that Yahoo on the stage, but we're actually other people, normal people, people that don't talk about food as much. You know, I mean, there's like, there's more growth that happens when we're in circles, when we're in relationships with each other. There's more transformation that happens because that's when you talk about how, how do you live that out. I talk about principles and truths here. And we can talk about those, but then what does that mean? And you only start to figure that out as you guys have conversations with each other and ask questions. Rows are good, but circles help us in a number of different ways. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another towards acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, it's like a little bit of a side eye there from the writer of Hebrews. As some people do, Frank, you know, it's like, let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. There's this, a, there's this aspect of, of being in a, in a circle and, and of building relationships with each other and, and seeing each other and being the, the, this called out gathering of people, not just in rows on Sunday mornings, but that interact with each other during the week and live live with each other and are a part of growth groups together. And there's, an interact, there's a part of interacting with them that we get this encouragement and this motivation because we realize that we're not the only ones. I was talking with somebody last night um, and uh, somebody I see, I don't know, once every six months or something like that and their life has changed a lot and he was just telling me all kinds of stuff that's going on in his life. Some of it's good stuff, some of it's difficult, some of it's just like the nature of life. You guys are alive, you guys experience the, the highs and the lows and everything in between. And there was a part that I just wanted to tell him like, man, that's insane. And I, I did try to tell him, and I don't know if he heard me, but I just wanted to be like, you're not the only one though. Because I got this sense that he felt like he was falling apart and totally on his own. And that everybody else had it figured out. And when we're a part of a group, when we're part, when we sit in a circle, when we sit across from a person, we get this sense that we can encourage each other, not just by high-fiving them, but saying like, yeah, my kid's insane too. Or, yeah, man, I, we have that same fight every night after our kids go to bed too. Or we don't know how to spend our weekends either. Or whatever it is, we get this, this opportunity to be in a conversation with each other and encourage each other because we are not the only one. Because you're not the only one. You're not alone in what you're going through. We realize that you're not the only person that's crazy. I heard this. I don't know who originally said this, but I heard this a few years ago, and it stuck with me. We tend to judge our blooper reel by everyone else's highlight reel. You guys like going on YouTube and watching those, like, fails, those fail videos? I feel a little bit bad how much I enjoy those, but... But I feel like with my life, like I know all of my biggest mistakes, my weaknesses, my issues, my problems, and I see everybody else's Instagram posts of their perfect moments. And I'm like, man, I'm nowhere near as put together as they are. Look at how well-dressed their kids are. Their kid didn't eat half the donut holes on Sunday morning like my kid. You know, it's like it's all these things 
of, man, I see every aspect, the flaws, the mistakes, the bloopers that we don't want anybody to see. We don't want these to end up on YouTube. And so I try and hide those things, not even realizing that everybody else is trying to hide those things too. And they're just projecting all of their highlights. Like, yeah, look, we read, read the Bible together as a family last night for the first time in a year. We do this every night. Uh, you know, there's, they're, they're putting up these ideas of goodness and like, look at my child sharing and look at our, we're holding hands on a date night because we're just still so in love after so many years. And, and those, there's truth to those things, but we only see these highlights. And when we're in a group, when we're in a row or a circle sitting across from people, we start to get this idea of like, okay, I see what you did there. You put a filter on it. I see what you did. Okay, like I'm not the only one. And it's not awesome that they're so bad. It's awesome that we're not the only ones. It's not a relief that, oh, I know they're dirt now. It's, okay, I can let it out. Me too. Galatians 6 says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently, there it is again, and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Share each other's burdens And in this way, obey the law of Christ. The law of Christ is love. And so to obey the law of Christ, we share each other's burdens. We help people back onto the right path. In a row, you can't share each other's burdens. There's only so much you can do. You don't even know what each other's burdens are. And you can hear truths and you can be encouraged. And I love this and I I keep saying this over and over again because obviously this is an important thing. But there's an aspect to the gathering that, that the church is supposed to be. What our name really is, is a group of people that shares each other's burdens, that helps each other get back on track. In rows, you can't share burdens. You don't know what people are going through. In rows, if you're going to share the burdens of the people in this room, that's a lot of burdens. But in circles, in a group, when you start to build relationships with one another, all of a sudden there's a few people that you know and you start to hear what they're dealing with, and you get to help share their burdens. And if any, I'm sure none of you are, but if anybody in here feels like you are carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, and you feel you're totally alone, and you don't know if you're going to make it through this next week, there's people in a circle, there's people in a group that are able to carry that burden with you. There's people in here that are going through significant marital stress, and problems that I know of. There's people in here that are dealing with illnesses that are terrifying. There's people in here that don't know why their kid wakes up at 3 a.m. every night screaming for Old McDonald. And that's a true story. There's, there's people in this room that are carrying things that we can help them carry. And they can help you carry yours. But in a row, you never know what those burdens are. James 5, this is a fun one, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. So if you're not in a group, then you get to just come up forward, we'll just do a single file line and we can all just kind of confess our sins from the stage. I'm just kidding. There's a, a hope for us that we are healed. That's what this verse is ultimately talking about, this idea of healing, so that we are healed We should confess our sins and pray for each other so that we can become whole, so we can find restoration and redemption and healing. And that's not going to happen in a bigger gathering like this. 
that happens as you guys get to know each other, as you guys get in circles and get in groups, get in get across the table from each other. It's a scary thing. We don't want to do that. We don't want people to know who we really are, what our mistakes really are like. It's terrifying to be honest with people. This week, we're like week two of Mason being back to school, and there's already a thousand more stories than there was the entire year of his kindergarten uh, year of school. And, and uh, day two of school, he came home and let us know that he had a girlfriend, which is interesting because that's not really something that we talk about a lot, and we don't really try and encourage him in that direction. Uh, he, we tell people, our, our older son, he feels all of the feelings all of the time. He's like super sensitive, super emotional. And he came home and he told us he has a girlfriend. And, and so my wife was like, what does that mean? I'm like, I love her. <laughs> okay. Uh, and what does she say? He's like, oh, I haven't told her. <laughs> like, okay, this is going well. These are the types of relationships we can get behind. Uh, there's a piece of that, that fear of like, man, I haven't told her. What are you, I'm not crazy. I'm not going to tell her that she's my girlfriend. That makes it so much more complicated. You got to pay for things. You got to, he didn't say all that. But the reality is that for us, there's these moments where it's like, man, I'm not going to tell people that. I'm not going to tell them that I have that struggle. I'm not going to tell them that sometimes when I pull up after a long day at work and I'm sitting in my driveway, there's moments where I'm like, maybe I should just keep driving. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know what's on the other side of that door for me. I'm not going to tell people. I'm not crazy. What would they think of me? There's moments when you are in relationship across a table in a circle in a group with people that confessing our sins to each other is this idea of, of just being honest and being vulnerable, being known and being seen. And then we get to encourage each other and pray for each other so that we can be healed, so we can be made whole. Some people... They say this idea, if people knew what I was really like, they wouldn't like me. But if people don't know what you're really like, then what they like isn't really you anyways. They like a version of you. They don't actually, they haven't made the decision. You haven't given them the chance to actually like you. You got to be vulnerable and honest. It's fine for everyone to just know some things. It would be ridiculous for us to have a single file line up here to, to share everything. It's fine for everyone to just know some things, but a few someones need to know everything. Some of us haven't told everything to anybody. Some of us have these buckets and these closets of, of things that we've just kept closed, and we haven't had an honest conversation about that with anybody. And I, it's not safe, and I'm not asking any of you just to broadcast all of that information to everybody, but there are a few people that should know those things. And we're not going to talk about those here on a Sunday morning, so you can breathe easy. But in a group, in a relationship, in a circle, these are the way we get to talk about these things. Our greatest need is to be healed. And the way that we find healing is by being open and honest and praying with each other and confessing to each other. Hebrews, thir uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Wow, that clock just jumped 10 minutes. Uh, be careful then. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. So it's not the evil world, it's not the politicians, it's not your job or your coworkers, or it's not your crazy kids that are turning you away from God. It's your own hearts that turn you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin. 
the sin ultimately, the brokenness, the mistakes, what Satan tries to do is just lie, lie to us. Like, man, everybody does that. It's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about that. Don't even tell people about that one. It's okay to do this. Everybody makes those decisions. Sin deceives us. It lies to our hearts. It lies to our minds and makes us think that these things that we want to do, that they're okay. And you can just go for it. Just swan dive straight in. It's lying to us. It makes us believe crazy things. When we're alone with our thoughts, it makes us believe these crazy things and, and you start to think like, yeah, that's a great idea. And you talk yourself into it. Have you guys ever done that before? Like you talk yourself into something that's like, man, I don't know if that, I should do that. And then like five minutes later, like, I'm doing it. And that's ultimately what sin does. It deceives us. It lies to us and tricks us into doing things that we should have never done before. Romans 15 says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, which is fully Knowing us fully, seeing all of our good and all of our bad, Christ accepted us. And that's how we're supposed to accept each other. That's how we're called to accept each other. There's an aspect of, of these rows that is so important, and we do it every week, and we will always do this. We, did, we do church on Sundays every week, regardless of what's going on. Because this is an important and a beautiful thing, but circles is how we get to know each other. Circles is how we get to care for each other. Circles is how we get to share each other's burdens. We get to be honest with each other. And I can't make vulnerability easy or painless. Like there's, there's always a risk that's attached to that. But circles and groups is where we get to experience change, where we get to take principles and truths that we talk about on a Sunday morning. We get to start to implement those things. Where we get to take this idea of like, wait, G who's Jesus and how much did he love us? And what does it mean that he became, like he set aside all of his power as God and became humble and a human? And I'm supposed, to, what does it mean that I'm supposed to do that also? We get to talk about this and figure out how it applies to our lives, to our work, to our families. There's a, this last week on Thursday night, we had back to school night which I missed last year, so this was my first back-to-school night ever as a parent, so I was really excited about it. Uh, it's a hoot, guys. It's a hoot and a half, as they used to say in North Carolina. Uh, the, the principal talked about this thing that they're going to be talking about all year long for the kids in the school, and as she was talking, it, it was just making me think, and as I was getting ready for this message, it was making me think, and she talked about there's two different mindsets. There's a fixed mindset, and there's a growth mindset, and if you're a teacher, you may already know all of this, and you can probably say this better than I can, but I'm going to butcher it for you. So be quiet if you're a teacher. If you're not, then I am a genius. Uh, and so there's a fixed mindset and there's a growth mindset. And the fixed mindset essentially says this is the way things are. This is how it's always going to be. I'm not going to try. I don't want to put in effort. I don't want to fail. I'm just going to keep it right here, kind of like this. A fixed mindset. This is the way things are. This is the way it's always going to be. It's not worth the effort. A, a growth mindset says that I can change. I can, be, I can grow. I can learn this. I can make mistakes, and that's actually okay. That's a part of the process. They broke it down in a few different ways. Skills and intelligence. A fixed mindset says you have what you have. I'm never going to change. This is, you know, my dad was like this, and so I'm like this. Uh, my, my boss is crazy, and so I've just got to live this way. A growth mindset says I can be grown, and I can develop. The main concern from people that have a fixed mindset is how they look, how they perform. What is it? How do people view me? The main concern for a growth mindset is that learning 
and getting better and processing and focusing. These are all the good things. Uh, under effort or a fixed mindset, something that you do when you're not good, you have to put in effort because you're not good at it. And so just don't do it. Don't get better at it. Under a growth mindset, effort is an important part of learning. And I think most of us would nod our heads like, yeah, you got to try to learn some things, but how often do we opt effort? It's like, yeah, I'm going to, let's go the effort route. It's like, no, we just want to skate. We want to slide through challenges. A fixed mindset, people give up and they check out. But a growth mindset, they persevere, they work through it, they show more grit. A fixed mindset for feedback, they take feedback personal, they get defensive. But a growth mindset, they like it, they use it to learn mistakes. People with a fixed mindset hate them and they try to avoid making them. And a growth mindset, they treat them as learning opportunities. And just as I close, the band is going to come back up. And this graph, and we can leave this up for a second, because there's an aspect of this that is what they're talking to my six-year-old about. This is what they're talking to our kids about when it comes to math and social studies and all these different types of things. But this is the reality for who, who each of us are, who each of us is, whichever word is supposed to be. I've got a fixed mindset when it comes to using vocabulary. No, I'm just kidding. There's an aspect that this is who we are, and this is what it looks like. And for you guys that are sitting here, for myself on a stage, for the band, for each one of us, we get to choose what mindset we have when it comes to what God's ideal is, when it comes to hope, when it comes to relationships, finding healing and restoration. We can choose to say, I'm not going to put any effort in because this is the way it's always going to be. Or we can put an effort. We can choose to show up in a group and be honest and take the feedback and, and use it and learn from it. And we can talk with people and, and talk about challenges that we're experiencing. Or we can say, no, I don't, I don't really want people to tell me about my life and what I'm supposed to do. When it comes to mistakes, we can hide them and just cover them. We don't want to make them. We don't want anybody to know what my issues are. Or we can say, hey, you know what? I'm willing because I want to grow. Because I want to be able to reach who God has created me to be and I want the marriage that God says that I'm able to have, I'm willing to make mistakes to get there. I'm willing to try. The main concern piece is the one that I feel like for a lot of us is the, the, the image, the image management. On a Sunday morning, everybody is a great Christian. And I've been in this situation. It feels like I always get in the worst fights with my wife when I'm on my way to church. I don't know if anybody else has ever gotten in a fight on their way to church. And then you get out of the car and you hold hands and you walk in smiling. In rows, we get to say, hey, this is, I'm a Christian, I'm here, and, and I've got it figured out, and I'm, I've got it dialed in, and all these types of things. But to grow, to be honest with each other, to be honest with ourselves and be, and be honest with people that are sitting across from us, not just in the rows, but in the circles, across the tables, in the relationships. That's how we grow. God's desire isn't for his children to attend Kirche, this building, once a week. God's desire is that we are a part of the ecclesia, a called out gathering that is growing and that is sharing, and that is sharing each other's burdens, that is sharing food together, that is encouraging one another, that everybody looks at them and says, man, they are good people. That's what God's desire is. These large group gatherings are inspiring and encouraging and they're important. But they're a, they're a conduit. They're a step to growing and becoming healthy. So I want to invite you guys. 
in October, the beginning of October, the first week of October, we're actually launching groups here as a church. We're, they're called growth groups, and it's an opportunity to sit in a circle, to get out of a row and to be honest and have conversations with people. And we're going to make this super easy for you because you don't even have to commit to, like, being a part of this forever. In October, we're doing this for five weeks. And then you get to peace out. But you can try it for five weeks. You can sit in a circle for five weeks and, and talk about relationships and talk about the Bible and talk about, man, here's where I'm at and here's what I'd like to be at. And so what is the effort that I have to put in? What is the conversations I have to have for my relationships, for my marriage, my, my kids, my spouse, my friends, coworkers, whatever it might be. And so I would love to invite you guys to consider that. We've got a couple weeks. I'm giving you guys a heads up. Those are going to start on October Fifth-ish. And we will never stop doing these gatherings. Just like the first church, they went to the temple, they sat in these large gatherings, they heard teachings and truths and all these types of things. But we also, as a church, we want to make sure that we're able to have groups and we're able to interact and sit in circles and share with each other. And so I'm excited for these series to launch I would love to invite you guys to fight against the fears that you might have, the concerns that you might have, and say, five weeks, five hours, I could, I could figure that out. I could make that work. Um, and so if you guys are on the verge, if you guys are thinking about it, I would encourage you guys to check the group box on that green card. You guys all have a card on your seat. You can just write in there, growth groups. It doesn't mean that you're guaranteeing, it's not money that you're putting in and paying for in advance. It's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm leaning towards saying yes to that. And I would love for you guys to do that. I would love, I think it would be an incredible thing for us as a church to do that together. So you and I can be the people that God wants us to be. He created us to be. This humble dependence on him and trusting that he is good, he'll provide for everything that we need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this time together. We pray that um, as we find the encouragement and the challenge and the information and, and whatever we experience here on a Sunday morning, God, would you help us take it outside of these walls and outside of the building and that we could apply it to our lives, that we would be a called out people, a people that lives our lives differently. God, we ask that you would give us the confidence and the courage to have a growth mindset and not a, not a, a mindset of I'm just going to stay where I'm at and uh, of fear and of, of scarcity, but we would say, hey, I'm willing to make an effort. I'm willing to risk. I'm willing to, to make a commitment. I'm willing to make mistakes and be honest. Would you give us the courage to make that decision today and each day? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.